Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, January 11th, 2022. Whose fault is it? You ever find yourself asking that question? And that can be with anything from, you know, how did this, how did my keys get misplaced to uh, something going very wrong at work or, or whatever it may be? We want to know who is responsible for something. And really, to some extent, we want to know who to blame. And there's ways, certainly, that that can be unhealthy where we want to just blame anything but ourselves. But there are also times where it's actually right to figure out who is at fault so that a real problem can be fixed. Um, But when we encounter suffering, that's where some of those questions can get very difficult, very interesting, and very personal in those times of hurt and loss. And that's where we're going to see more with the book of Job today. Today, we're looking at chapters 18 through 21, and today we get not one but two cycles of a friend of Job giving really what's bad counsel and Job responding. But especially in this first back and forth, we are going to see some critical things that we should think about when it comes to suffering. Now, in chapter 18, Bildad is giving more of just this overly simplistic, uh, bad people suffer, you're suffering, ergo, you must be bad. Um, And he says in chapter 18, verse 5, indeed, the light of the wicked is put out and the flame of his fire does not shine. Uh, Right? Just saying, hey, the wicked, God puts their light out. And again, overly simplistic. We'll get more into that actually in the second cycle today. But then chapter 19, even on this read through this year of going through the Bible, chapter 19 is standing out to me as one of the most interesting chapters in the book of Job. Look at how it starts. Where he's saying, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These 10 times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? I mean, he's really pleading with his friends saying, guys, stop torturing me. Uh, Stop torturing me with all of your bad counsel. But then he does seem to start talking about what God has done to him. In verse 8, he has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone, and my hope he has pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me at his as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. All right, again... Um, You just look at uh, really what he's saying. Look at all these things that God has done to me. And even towards the end uh, of critical verse again is verse 21. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. And that's a rich verse. We're going to spend some time thinking about a few facets of that verse. But let's just start with that idea. The hand of God has touched me. True or false? Let's rewind the tape a little bit. Let's go back to the opening chapters of Job. And who is it that actually does the touching of Job? 
Well, it's it's Satan that ends up ultimately taking all these things from him, and, and Satan that ends up you know giving him the the illness and, and the the physical suffering that he experiences, and, and that's where Job is not totally accurate in assigning some of the blame of this to God. Now, as a pastor, I've been given a front row seat to a lot more suffering than I would have had otherwise in my life. And so you get to see a lot of the different ways that people respond in times of suffering. And when it comes to the assigning the blame, you know, we can do some very interesting things where one, we can just, I think, do what Job is doing here and blame God in a way that's not true. Again, when he starts kind of saying all those earlier things that God has pulled up his hope like a tree or that God has kindled his wrath against me. Is that true? Nowhere does this seem to be actually an expression of God's wrath or anger towards Job. So he is not right in assigning that blame to God. Um, However, I also see some people, they want to distance God as as far as possible and basically say, well, God, he's not involved in any way in this tragedy. He is not responsible in any way for this tragedy. And when we just use Job as a test case, we see, no, it's not right for Job to say the hand of God has has touched me and made me suffer in all these ways or God is angry at me. But it also would not be right to say, well, this isn't God and God's just somewhere, you know, wringing his hands saying, oh, poor Job. Job, I wish I could do something to stop this. No, we look back and while Satan may be the one doing a lot of these specific things, he's doing it all really under the allowance of God. Satan isn't doing anything that God has not allowed him to do. And that's where, again, when we come to suffering and when we come to Job, we don't get a ton of neat answers. And I hope that's not a frustrating thing. I hope that's actually an encouraging thing for when you're going through suffering to know that there is no neat and simple, uh, tidy answer. And even at the end, as we're going to see God show up, he doesn't, oh, Job, well, let me tell you why this and why that. And he just says, no, Job, this is who I am. The, The only answer we only end up really end up getting is who God is and just being told to trust in his power and his plan and all of these things. And so that should help us as we consider suffering, that we should not be too quick to assign blame to God and act like, well, God's angry at me and God's doing all these mean things to me. While on the other hand, we shouldn't just act like, well, God is distant and there's nothing God can do about it. Or God in no way was a sovereign over what has happened to me. We want to take that very carefully. But I think we also learned something as counselors. Again, now as we look at that other facet of verse 21, where Job is crying out, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Now, I don't think he's accurate in saying that the hand of God has has touched him, but look at his cry for mercy from his friends, right? And his friends have been bad counselors and they're very accusatory of him. And I think we can learn some things not to do from his friends, not to come in all hot with our hot takes. And and really what the friends are doing is, hey, here's a nice, neat and tidy answer. God punishes sinners. You're being punished. So you must be a sinner. You must be in sin. They're trying to provide some neat and tidy answer when that's not really what Job needs because there is no neat and tidy answer. What he needs is mercy. And so as we consider just dealing with people who are suffering, may 
that be something we take away is just to approach those people with mercy and just not to sell short really the real pain and suffering that they are experiencing like we see from Job here. But then, like I said, this chapter gets even more and more amazing when Job says, oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Um, It sounds like actually like Job's words are going to be written and they're going to be inscribed in a book. And now thousands of years later, we're reading them. And what is he saying in verse 25? For I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And that's where here we are a thousand years later. And while we can learn some from the mistakes that of Job's words, and we can learn some from clearly the mistakes of his counselors. There's so much in Job that really shows still, even though there's a questioning, even though there's, um, you know, this kind of starting to think that God is out to get him, there's still never, he never totally loses that trust in God. And that is a model for us. And we see that as he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And there is no suffering, there is no trial that you will go through in this life where you, even though you're thousands of years later, cannot say the same thing as a believer. That you can say, I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand and upon the earth. And as we're going to start to see again more in Job, it's really not about the what and the why that Job's even going to get an explanation towards. He's really going to end up drawing his comfort from who, and that's how God's going to show up at the end. But we're also going to see that even right now, he's still trusting in this redeemer that he knows lives and in the end will stand upon the earth. And that's a comfort that we can share in too. Now let's move on to our New Testament portion for today. And today I think is really the first sampling of something that you should get used to, something that we're going to see more of as we go through, especially the first half of the year, really going through the life of Christ through the Gospels. Get ready for days where you're going to see on the reading plan, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, those three are what we refer to as the synoptic gospels because there is a lot of similarity in those three where John seems to be the most unique and different gospel. So there's going to be many days where you're going to see Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what it's going to be is we're reading in essence about the same thing in all three of these gospels. It's not like some of the other days where uh, like yesterday, for instance, when we looked at Matthew chapter two and the wise men, but then we looked at something different in Luke chapter two. No, today we're looking at the same thing in three chapters, all talking about John the Baptist, some of the things identical. And so on days like today, you're going to want to read these passages. You'll notice the similarities. It can also be helpful to uh, notice just some of the, the differences in the accounts. Sometimes uh, they're very similar. Sometimes it's just one is longer and expands more and some are shorter. Um, and so you, you'll get that as we read through the Gospels. But let's just notice some things about John the Baptist today. Uh, first of all, you'll notice all three Gospels, even though none of them are identical, contain a quote from Isaiah. And really, it reminds us of this forerunner role that John the Baptist had. He was a forerunner of the Messiah, going before Jesus Christ, kind of preparing the way for people to be ready to listen to him. And then as we look at the message of John the Baptist, you'll notice some themes. One is clearly a theme of repentance, that he is calling people to repentance. And what does repentance mean? It means most simply to turn. And by preaching this word, he is introducing us to one of the most important words in the entire Bible. 
a critical word. I mean, this is the main word of his teaching that is preparing people for the Messiah. And basically, to just kind of bottom line it and put it all of kind of the New Testament together, if you have not repented, you are not a believer. And I've had people even at church disagree with me on that. And I just open up my Bible and say, well, if you disagree with me on that, you disagree with Jesus, you disagree with the apostles, you disagree with John the Baptist, right? All over the New Testament, Paul speaks of traveling the world and testifying to all, both Jew and Greek, of repentance, right? And it basically, again, repentance just means to turn, that we are to turn from our ways, turn from our sin, and ultimately turn to this Savior, this Messiah. And connected to repentance is another key thing you'll see in the three Gospels this morning is forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness are linked. And notice he's not preaching penance. He's not preaching that we go out and by doing all these good things, even though he tells them to to do these things, he is not implying that we earn our forgiveness by doing that. No, even you'll see the, the idea of the fruits of repentance. Repentance is an internal inside of our hearts thing. Then it leads to fruit. We, we start living differently because of the repentance. Um, repentance also leads to forgiveness, the forgiveness of God. And so forgiveness does not come by penance, the idea of, well, if we do enough good things, we can earn our forgiveness. No, forgiveness is granted when we turn from our sin, when we give that up and we will see ourselves forgiven, and then we will see the fruit of of that repentance. And we'll see more of that in Jesus. We'll see more of that as we read the epistles later, but we also see that in the message of John the Baptist. And another key element, along with just those quotes from Isaiah, uh, the themes of repentance and forgiveness, uh, what he says in Matthew's account, specifically in verse two, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So another key concept here is the idea of the kingdom. And the reason we need to repent is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's where we need to be reminded this Messiah, Jesus Christ, he is the king and he is bringing a kingdom. And that is why we need to repent. And that's another thing you'll see with John that comes up is really the message and the warning of judgment. King Jesus is coming and he's bringing a kingdom, but he is also bringing judgment. And so to be ready for that, we need to make sure we have repented of our sin and experienced the forgiveness of this Messiah so that we are ready for the kingdom and ready to be a part of that kingdom, the kingdom of this Messiah, Jesus Christ. So there we see Old Testament, New Testament today, a lot in there, but hopefully we've learned uh, really from the message of John the Baptist, and hopefully we've also learned from the example of Job and really some things that will help us in suffering. And again, another day where we see so much in God's Word. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.